Today's episode is sponsored by Discovered Magazine. Discovered is an international print counterculture magazine encompassing the best of music, art, skateboarding, and anything with a punk ethos. Listeners get 10% off a yearly subscription using the code FIRSTEVER, spelled out, when you visit store.dscvrd.co. Welcome to the first ever podcast. I am your host, Jeremy Balm. If this is your first time here, this is a show where I interview artists of all kind about the first experiences in their art form that led them to where they are today. And my guest this week is Austin Getz of Turnover. I uh, I was flattered to learn that this is potentially the first podcast he's ever done, which is uh, which is really nice. He did a uh, he did a wonderful job. This is a, a great interview. I uh, I really adore Austin. Had the pleasure of touring with him in Australia a couple of years back. And um, he just got back from the road. They uh, turned over, just did a tour. And um, this interview actually took place just after they had played the Palladium with Joyce Manners. So you'll hear us talk about that a little bit. Um, so this is, yeah, this is quite a few, uh, quite a few weeks old. This was before I even left for tour. Um but uh, I was I was racking up interviews. I was uh, I was trying to be responsible. So I'm happy this is finally coming out. And uh, yeah, Austin's great. Um, but before we get to that interview, I want to shout out my sponsor, Rootless Coffee. Uh, Rootless Coffee is a small batch roaster out of Flint, Michigan, making high end coffee with bags designed by some of the comic industry's rising stars. Collaborating with artists, bands, brands, nonprofits, wrestlers, comedians, and more. Rootless is the punk rock gateway to craft coffee. Easy to understand and delicious roast options. Listeners get 20% off their order using the code HARDTIMES at checkout when they visit rootlesscoffee.com. Any size, any grind, any time. Break free from boring. Also, I want to shout out my Patreon. Hit up patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon, where right now, if you subscribe, you can hear a bonus episode where Austin is answering questions that were submitted to him by subscribers. If that sounds like something fun you want to be a part of, you can subscribe for 3 7 or $10. Uh, 7 and $10 will give you the opportunity to submit questions to upcoming guests. And uh, yeah, for $3, you can, uh, you can get all a bunch of bonus content and, and whatever, including the bonus episode that is available right now now uh what else oh you uh have you ever been interested in uh doing a podcast do you need someone to edit it for you you should hit up my boy tim crisp who does a great podcast called better yet he is the show's editor and uh he's looking to take on some more gigs if that sounds like something uh you're interested in doing i know me personally i can't be trusted to edit a podcast that's why i have tim um, not only is he a pleasure to work with, but he, uh, he does a great job. If you like how this show sounds, it's all because of Tim. So, uh, if you need some help, 
email him over at betteryetpodcast at gmail.com and uh, hire him. He's wonderful. Okay, I think that's all I have to pitch. Here is my conversation with Austin Getz. Austin, great to see you. You too, man. I wish it was uh, got to see you a few days ago in person in L.A. I mean, yeah, it, it was. Uh, we were talking a little bit over text. Um, obviously, Turnover just just got to play with uh, Joyce Manor for those two shows at the Palladium. Um, you were you remarked on stage that those were your obviously first shows back since you know uh, since COVID happened and and everything like that. Um, but yeah, we were talking. It was like, oh yeah, sorry I didn't get to see you. It's like, man, firstly that venue is entirely too big. It's just, you know. Growing up, I always called that place a gym with chandeliers. Dude, you know? <laughs> bigger than any gym I've ever been in. <laughs> right? Yeah, it's like a, it's like a, it feels like a basket, like a like a professional basketball court or something. Yeah, and then be watching hockey in there or something. Right, for real. And then, uh, but I mean, it's just like yeah, it's like a four thousand cap room. Obviously, there's so many COVID restrictions and things like that. So like, I just was up on the balcony with uh, with Ashley, and I'm like, yeah, it's. Uh, I'm not bothering anyone tonight. Like, I'm just going to say good set. And if I happen to run into somebody, that's it, you know? Yeah, that's kind of the, the move I was making, too. If I, if it, if things happen to put us together, then good. If not, I can't make it happen. Yeah, 100%. Um, how was the, how long were you in L.A.? How was that trip for you? It was pretty short, man. So we played a show in, um, in San Francisco a few days before just to kind of warm up um, at the chapel up here. And then we took a couple of days and went down through Big Sur and camped. And then we were in L.A., just, uh, like, got in the night before the show, two days of the show, and then everybody flew out the day after because we were out here by my house re- uh, rehearsing for, like, a week beforehand. And we only have a few weeks until we get going on stuff for the fall, so everybody was kind of anxious to get home. So it wasn't that long. It was pretty pretty hectic and rushed, but when was I was the, anxious to get home, too. So. Yeah, when was the last time you were all in the same room together? Actually, not that long ago, um, because we were uh, out in Philadelphia working on some music with Will. So, oh, okay. Uh, it hadn't been that long yet. Where we were over there, and um, when was it? Uh, June. I was there for my birthday, so it's only been a couple months. Oh, okay, that's nice. I mean, yeah, because you're all so sort of spread apart. You're still up in Northern California. Yeah, for a bit, man. Um, me and Morgan are actually thinking we're gonna move in like December, but for now, yeah, I'm still in Sonoma County. Okay. Yeah. You're in what I call true Northern California. I've been, it's been this ongoing joke with friends and everything like that, that like, I, I refuse to call San Francisco Northern California because that shit's in the center. You know, yeah, like it really you, is. you are in Northern California. Even me. I mean, I'm only an hour North of San Francisco. So true Northern Californiaers would probably look down on that. But I mean, I, I, I think that this is kind of the beginning of Northern California. It's crazy too. Cause when I have people come visit from out of town and stuff, they're like, Oh, you got to like work a day or something. I'll just go down to L.A. And I'm like, you don't understand. <laughs> You're not anywhere near it. People don't even know it exists up here. You know what I mean? Like, it's just such a huge place. But Yeah, yeah. No, truly. For some reason, I thought you were in, like, uh, like closer to, like, Eureka. I don't know why I thought that you were, like, way up there. Were you ever way up there? I was trying to go up there when I was first about to move out here. I'm not sure when we were in Australia together. It might have been, like, right before I moved here. Because what was that, 2017? I think so, yeah. So it might have been, like, a conversation we were having at that point because our original plan was to go up just to, like, be in the Redwoods. Um, but it was just a little too far out, like, six hours from a major airport with me touring all the time and Morgan being there solo. It felt a little bit too, uh, yeah, too far out. So we bounced yeah. around and settled here. Just a quick shoot down to the bay, you know? Yeah, that's not too bad. 
You got a you got a dog that's like jumping up and down. What's going on over there? Yes, Theo, man, he's he's got on the hardwood floor with his nails. Is it going to mess everything up? Uh, it's it's. I, I, let's just say this: I notice it, but also I'm a dog fan. So I right. mean, if if we're not gonna, if this if there's nothing can be done, you know, it's just ambiance, I guess. It's just him. Uh, yeah, he's playing with the cat. Him and my cat wrestle. So that's what he's doing. How old are your pets? Theo is uh, going to turn five in October, and Frank is, uh, his age is kind of ambiguous, but we mark him somewhere around 10. Okay. Are any of them pets that you got over this last year? No. Um, Frank Morgan has had since he was, like, really young, and uh, we got Theo just a couple months after moving to Northern California to uh, keep us company. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Very cool. Well, so the show is, you know, it's, like, all about first experiences and things like that, and... Um, I guess we could start with, are you and your brother originally from Virginia Beach? Like, is that, like, home? Um, I, when people ask me where I'm from, I always say Louisiana still, just because we were born and raised there. We didn't move until I was 13. He was 11 um, after Katrina in 2000. Uh, well, we moved in 2006, a year after the storm hit. Um, but then, you know, spent another 12 years in Virginia Beach. Casey's still there. So he would probably say that, you know, he identifies more as Virginia Beach being his home for sure. I probably would too, just because, you know, when you're like a little kid, the, your, your family and stuff is influencing you a little bit more than like the city you live in. So Virginia Beach is where I, you know, like learned about alternative music and going to shows and played my first band. And so it's not where I was from, but I would say it's, you know, yeah, it's the place that's my home probably. Yeah, it's funny. I feel like that what you just described is maybe the dividing line in this in the uh, phrase like born and raised, because normally yes. those meets together. It's like, no, I was born in Louisiana, but I was basically kind of raised in in uh, Virginia Beach. Do you what part of Louisiana were you in? New Orleans. Just like straight uh, not up New like Orleans? in the city, but uh, just in the uh, kind of close to this suburb called Metairie. It's like 10 minutes. New Orleans is really small. So, yeah, New Orleans. OK, was uh, is your folks originally from there? Uh, my mom's born and raised there. My dad uh, moved there. He's originally from Pennsylvania, um, but he moved there to uh, be like a bar manager and stuff when he was in his 30s. And then, um, yeah, they met there and uh, lived there until, yeah, Katrina in 2005. Wow. Do you still have family out there? Yeah, my mom's one of seven. And, wow. Um, yeah, so a lot of her family's still there. Let me see. One, two, three, four out of the seven are still there of her okay. siblings. So they uh, they just moved back there um, when I moved out here, actually. Uh, so it was 2017. Um, so they've been back there for like four years now. When you have has uh, turnover had the chance to to play through Louisiana? Probably. Right. Yeah, we have. It's all you know, if if we weren't from there, we probably wouldn't because, you know, it's weird. Everyone thinks of New Orleans as huge music town, which it totally is. But it's at least in my experience when I was growing up there, like I had no indications of like punk music hardcore music and stuff and like a few friends that i actually like went to high school with or eighth was in eighth grade with there have hit me up since and be like dude like we book shows here whatever whatever so i always make a point to like tell whoever's booking the shows like we got to go through new orleans just because it's a place to go and see family on the way to texas you know what i mean it's like mississippi alabama louisiana like they always get skipped over yeah and our shows there aren't great but we've played there a few times we played there with circus survive and um we at the house of blues i room. assume it was actually um it was at a place called the joy 
I think. Oh, interesting. Um, which is like kind of a, like historical venue down there. And we played there actually with Newfound Glory too. Um, that was like the first time that we had played a show down there. And that was at a place called Tipitina's, which is also a kind of legendary venue. So it was really fun. And then we just played a couple DIY things our, ourselves. But whatever you've yeah. gone through, is it like kind of a little bit of a family reunion for you too? Yeah, it is. And it's, you know, it's stressful just to, because, you know, anytime like, you know, you're trying to do, have family and you also have the show going on, but it's, it's, it's always fun. Everybody always comes. And really, even in Texas, uh, a lot of our family comes out too and just drives from like uh, usually sure. to Austin because my mom has a brother there. But, oh, I was going to uh, say, yeah, I feel like a family reunion. I was going to say, usually I, I would assume it would have been Houston, but yeah, I guess if you got family also yeah. out there. Um, yeah, it's interesting what you were saying about like not being really aware of, of, maybe the what musically is happening when you're growing up there because my experiences my like limited experiences in, in louisiana i had an ex-girlfriend who who was from baton rouge or lives still lives in baton rouge so like um you know I, i've always had a, a love for the place but um yeah it's like obviously it has such roots in blues music and things like that but then you know just if you're just visiting and kind of walking down bourbon street or whatever you mo you as much as you might hear like jazz and blues playing you also hear bar bands covering boston and yes in kansas and, and, and just hip-hop blaring so loudly uh, oh true that so too yeah there's so much stuff going on everywhere and there is you know certain like there's a ton of hip-hop music in new orleans sure and um you know a ton of insanely good jazz and blues stuff but yeah i guess as far as like what i got plugged into and what i was you know when i was growing up i like only wanted to listen to the shit my my parents didn't like and my parents liked all that stuff <laughs> yeah so i was like what are they not like so you know i'm trying to like find punk music and i didn't really know of much of it at that time um i'm sure there are some like really really great you know i mean obviously crowbars from new orleans and there's some other you know i know bands yeah from i feel like the the main band that people think of in these last bunch of years is that band thou like they're from yeah. they're from new orleans but mm -hmm. um but no awesome so uh you know one of the first questions i always ask is like similar to what you were sort of saying with what you had with like pushback with uh, what your parents were listening to. So what was like the first music that you connected with? Like that felt like it was yours. Dude, my, I have a crazy, um, vivid memory still of, I was on my way to kindergarten. Uh, so it was 1999 and Enema of the state had just came out and, uh, all the small things came on the radio and I was on my way to school and I didn't know what it was. And I heard the song and it like, hit me in this crazy way and I went into school and I had this guy that I went to school with named Ryan who was like he was always plugged into like the cool music as much as you can be when you're you know five <laughs> um and uh or maybe I was six or seven for I mean, it might have been first grade but I went in and I was like dude do you know this song that's like na 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 <laughs> and he was like yeah it's a band called Blink and I looked him up and I had LimeWire at the time I think and I downloaded F all the stuff I could possibly find in first grade I think so. Whatever I was using to get music at that time, I think it was LimeWire or maybe it was Napster. But uh, it was like one of those things where like I got a lot of Blink songs, but then also there was like people just uploading like the tagged. So like I would randomly get like a, a brand new song in there or something that I would then think was Blink and I didn't know until years later I was wrong or something like that. Oh, yeah. But um, yeah, all it. the small things by Blink, man, that was my song for sure that turned me on to having a music of my own. 
it's funny. I, I feel like we haven't really like we haven't dove into that really on the show ever. But yeah, that was like one of the funny drawbacks of the the bear shares, the lime wires, the the Napsters of like people. It, it was sort of like a funny way for, I think, people to also get their music heard. So yeah. they would upload their band yeah. as as like, you know, Newfound Glory or something like that. And uh, and then maybe later on in life, you come across what that band actually was. And you're like, oh, my God, I used to think this was so and so or whatever. I had so many mix up like that, man, with like the low key bands that were like, you know, maybe somebody else uploaded it. And like there was just a bunch of misinformation because it was also like you couldn't just go you couldn't Google as much stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. So uh, I think that there was a lot of people just uploading incorrect things to LimeWire and, you know, also a good amount of like thought it was a song. And next thing you know, it'd be like a freaking somebody naked's on my screen. (laughs) (laughs) There's a ton of mixed media on there. Oh, there sure was. There sure was. Um, Yeah, I remember I think I just like typed in when I when I discovered like what emo was, I think I would just type in emo and that introduced me to a lot of stuff and, uh, you know, a lot of stuff that might or probably shouldn't be considered emo. You know, I think that's how I discovered, I think Bell and Sebastian. And it's like, yeah. don't think I would call them that, but sure. I would say emo might be the most, um, erroneously tossed around genre <laughs> that exists, man. Like everything from Bell and Sebastian to straight screamo music to, you know, yeah. real emo. And it's just like, what really, what is it? You know what I mean? Yeah. When you can put like, when you can put when someone can put Avril Lavigne and Fugazi in the same thing, you're like, all right. So I mean, they're is, all emotional, so you can't say they're incorrect. You know what I mean? It's all it's, emotional. I suppose that's true. Um, so yeah, it was Blink One Eighty Two. What uh, what was uh, the first concert you remember going to? First concert, it was um. Well, let me. I'm the first one that sticks with me. I might have like gone to some shows in New Orleans, like with my parents. You know, when I was a kid, like I'm sure I saw some free concerts here and there Mm -hmm. in new orleans that i don't remember um but the one that i remember going to the most clearly was it was right at it was like i'd lived in virginia for like a month i had gotten my first electric guitar like the year before in new orleans and um couldn't believe my parents let me get it and then you know i just thought it would be cool to learn but never learned it and then i moved to virginia and i had no friends so all i did was play guitar it was my only friend and one of my buddies from New Orleans, my mom let me fly him up because he and I had both really liked started listening to uh, Taking Back Sunday together. And they were coming to this amphitheater near my house. So we went and it was uh, Angels and Airwaves and Taking Back Sunday. And wow. it was at this huge amphitheater. And yeah, I was 13 and uh, it was really sick. That was, a, that was my first one that I remember being like, and my mom, you know, didn't come. She dropped me off. Yeah. It was cool. Uh, was your brother like right along with you going through like discovering this music and stuff like that? Or did, did, uh, did you guys have a bit of a sonic rivalry ever? Dude, we really liked a ton of the same music growing up. Like Blink was definitely, we both loved Blink, Linkin Park, um, and just also like random stuff we would find on LimeWire. Like I remember, uh, at one point we were both obsessed with Eiffel 65, that song, <laughs> uh, I'm Blue. We were just yeah, like, put it on a CD and just... Yeah. <laughs> and then also just hip hop. Like I remember like uh he like one of the first CDs he ever got was the D twelve C D. At one point like we had a shared C D that was just fifty cent in the club burned like twelve times onto a disc <laughs> so we could just listen to it over and over. So we definitely like listened to the same music, but um I don't think he when he was younger quite had as much passion for it as me. 
Um, he was like, when I was starting to get really, really into music, he was starting to get really, really into skateboarding. And I think, you know, he was like, oh, that's what my older brother does. I don't want to, like, do the exact same thing. So um, we didn't start. Uh, he, you know, has always liked music. But I remember, like, I was so, you know, by, by the time I was, like, 13, I was like, I want to be in a band. Like, that's what I want to do with my life, whatever. And he definitely wasn't that way. I remember um, having a conversation with him one time where he was like, dude, I like music, but, like, I don't, like, love it. <laughs> and right. I, it, like, blew my mind. I was like, how do you not, like, care about it? He was like, I just love skating. Right. And I was kind of the opposite way. I was like, I like skating, but, you know, like, I don't love it. And, uh, yeah, then he had a drum set that he was kind of the same way as me with the guitar. He didn't really play it too much. And um, I was in this other band before Turnover. And um, then when Turnover started, we needed a drummer. And I was like, yo, Casey, you want to play drums? And he was like, sure. (laughs) And he started playing drums. And then, of course, you know, he you know over time had found his own kind of music and gone his own direction we were kind of listening to different stuff like he was uh more into like indie and like music from like more skate videos and stuff while i was like you know listening to hardcore and like title fight and you know stuff that was like my underground like my own type of music and stuff so uh he was on a different wave um after we were young sure so what was what was your first guitar first guitar dude first act all black (laughs) um les paul nice like a hundred bucks loved it yeah did you Um, did you do lessons or did you just kind of figure it out for yourself or what figured it out for myself for the beginning um and would just teach myself riffs you know like um learned like every blink riff and you know a bunch of like ramon songs and i remember learning that hawthorne heights riff ohio is for lovers um and then when I moved to Virginia and I like kind of had felt a little bit maxed out. And I think my parents were also like, if you really love music, you should take lessons. You know, they were like trying to always get me and Casey to do an extracurricular at school. And we were both like, no, fuck that. Like we want to do our own thing. And I think my parents at that point were like, all right, well, if you're going to do guitar, you at least got to take it serious enough to take lessons. So then I started taking lessons for like six months and my teacher was hella funny. Like looking back, he was definitely like super drugged out guy that, <laughs> He would always show up like an hour late for our lesson time and stay two hours after he was supposed to be there. Taught me a ton about music, though. Uh, Really nice dude. Um, But it was so funny because he was into a lot of different music than me. And I would like show him the stuff I was trying to play. And he would like learn a punk song and then like try to sing it. But he would sing it like (laughs) like soulfully. (laughs) Nice. And it was always kind of funny. But yeah, it didn't last too long. I think I only took lessons for like. Yeah, like I said, like six months, four or six months. And then I was just like, oh, I just want to be playing my own stuff. And by that time, I had enough of a grip on it to where I was like, I can learn any punk chord progression. And that's all I wanted to play. So then I was like, oh, I'll just do it myself. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I applaud you for sticking around that long. I mean, for certainly for me and for a lot of my other friends, like I remember it sort of was like once you got to the point where it was like, all right, now I'm going to teach you how to start learning to read music. That was usually when you're like, yeah, all right. You know, yeah, I never did that, man. I don't even know if, I mean, he probably could, but I never, I was like, I don't care about that at all. I wish I had at this point. Cause now I'm like sitting here and I got the, like how to read music book on my desk and I'm trying to like learn. But, uh, yeah, it never got to there. I was like, teach me how to do a bar tabs better. And yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know, like, basic things i remember it kind of started getting when he was like trying to teach me the circle of fifths and it started getting into like theory i was like i don't care about any of this you gotta get out of here yeah 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 did you can you uh can you do can you do like guitar solos um yeah i would say depends on the solo okay 
Fair answer. <laughs> Fair answer. Fair answer. Some. Some. Um, I like, you know, in the past few years of my life, I've gotten like really into like jazz and like, you know, more um, music that is, uh, you know, requires a little bit more technical skill. So mm-hmm. I've, I've upped my, my skills a little bit, but I would still not say I'm a virtuoso by any means. And I never was like a metalhead, too. I feel like a lot of people who can really solo are metalheads. That's and, that's uh, that's often a conversation where like I'll, uh, I've often said like there's two different kind of guitar players like the kids who learn guitar doing you know Green Day Blink Nirvana songs like that and then there's the kids who listen to Metallica and Pantera and that those are the kids that can they can solo and yeah. uh, the the other ones are just about as good as they were when they were <laughs> when they were doing the other songs. Yeah, I'm like somewhere in between to where like I started trying to like you know yeah like play along to jazz songs and. Stuff like that, so got a little bit better, but I still probably couldn't. I can't, you know, I can't sweep. I can't do any of that crazy stuff. When it comes to to jazz, are you are you um, do you find yourself listening to more like uh, guitar jazz stuff, like Grant Green, like that kind of stuff, or not? When I first got into it, it was uh, I was like really um, the the guitar stuff was like all I really. Well, my first introduction to jazz was, and the first thing I really found that I loved was bossa nova. And I think because it was just like that nice acoustic guitar and, you know, a lot of guitar was in it. And then I did start trying to find like really great just jazz guitar, you know, and I was listening to like a lot of like Joe Pass and stuff like that. Um, but now, honestly, I find that that's kind of my lesser favorite stuff. Like I've, I and now that I'm like playing keys, especially too, I just find the piano is like so expressive and you can, you know, play two parts with one instrument so like you can just listen to a straight jazz piano piece and it's like the most beautiful thing so now i find myself listening to a lot more um piano based stuff but when i first started getting into jazz i would definitely say it was guitar sure do you have uh do you have some favorite artists uh that you kind of like circle around when it comes to like piano jazz players um errol garner is probably my favorite i always say that the song misty is my favorite song um I really like uh, um, Ahmad Jamal a lot, um, but I'm really I'm really bad about like listening to an artist and then like after having heard it, like moving on to the next and not replaying stuff a lot because I, uh-huh. I think I have kind of an aversion to it because I used to be like if I found a song, I would play it until it died. So now I'm kind of like I hear it and then I'm like oh yeah, I listened to that album once and I really liked it. I wonder why I haven't listened to it again. Um, <laughs> Do we blame uh, that Fifty Cent song in the Eiffel? That was that was definitely part of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would like I would be like, you know, this used to be my favorite artist, and now I hate him. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, Errol Gardner, Ahmad Jamal, man, I'm always looking for new stuff too. Um, I really uh, just started getting. And the the thing about jazz too that's so crazy is like I'm 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 always finding out that uh, these players that were on, you know, like if like uh, one of my favorite jazz albums is kind of blue sure and i never even knew that um i never even knew who played on who played on the record you know what i mean and so right. like just just the other day i found out that like john coltrane's all over that thing and i was like dude how did i never even know this you know i just thought of it was miles davis but um it's 100 percent uh why i have become pretty addicted to the genre myself where it's like i think being kind of record store guy brain, um, I'm always fascinated by connecting pieces. So yeah. when I, I kind of blue was my gateway. And then once 
you're yeah, similar to you. I was like, holy shit, Coltrane's on this record? That's wild. Yeah. And then, you know, uh, I'll, I'll do the thing. I'll research. I'll type in, like, you know, best Blue Note records. Like, best yeah. records put out by Blue Note. And you're like, okay. And then I, that got me really into, like, Lee Morgan. And then I'm like, well, Lee Morgan plays on this record with Hank Mobley. Well, Hank Mobley's playing on this record with Art Blakey. And Art Blakey is on all of these records. You know, it's Dude. like, it just it t- takes you down that hole. It does. And it's so cool with jazz, too, just because of how intertwined it all was and how it was, like, kind of like punk back in the day. You know what I mean? It's like all these guys that were just, you know, friends and were just playing with each other and all pushing the envelope in their own way. It's it's really so cool. And it's such a world that is there's so much of it. And I didn't start getting into it until so late that it's like daunting. You know what I mean? I know like so little about it. And yeah. But it's, but it's also amazing. It's so yeah. fun. It's so fun. No, I'm absolutely with you. It's 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 such a fun exploration. There was actually a really wonderful um, documentary that came out about Blue Note a couple years ago. They're playing it at the small indie theater down the way from me, and um, they had a uh, and Mark Marin ended up doing a Q and A after with Herbie Hancock, like in this oh, wow. incredibly small theater, and it was like them talking to someone who was involved in the documentary, like the documentarian and Herbie Hancock, and I'm just like. This is so cool. fucking crazy, you know? That's amazing. What's yeah. that documentary called? Um, it is... I'll have to look. It's... You'll have to send it to me. I'll, yeah, I'll have to look it up. Um, I'm pretty sure it has the word Blue Note in it. I'll, I'll send it to you after. Um, and, nice. I'll, and for people who uh, are listening to this, I'll post about it as well. Um, cool. But yeah, I mean, yo, I'm, we should start uh, sending each other uh, recommendations. I only have one mod uh, record. Um, I forget which one it is. That was probably whatever the most like obvious record from him might be. I can't think the of live at the Pershing. Ooh, I don't know if it's that. Um, but yeah, well, I, I would love to, to explore this world with you, you know, dude, like I'm this. always looking for people to send me recommendations. That's, yeah. I'm always looking for new music. So, and I know that you, uh, you got the knowledge, so please. Oh, sweet. Anything my way. Um, so you mentioned, uh, a band before, turnover uh was that your first band like is turnover your second band so my actual first band was called tears from a glass eye perfect um i was like a sophomore in high school i think and that was just like me figuring out what it meant to play in a band you know it's like um you know i was like trying to play stuff that sounded like blink green day our drummer like his he was like strictly like metallica pantera and then our bass player, like, was a fusion jazz bassist that loved, like, Jaco Pastorius. So okay. our shit was just, like, <laughs> who knows what's going on. Yeah. Um, but it That's was hella perfect. fun. Perfect... We never recorded anything, you know. That was, like, getting together in the bedroom, and, like, it was hella fun. That's the best situations for a high school band because it's literally, you're limited to, like, I know this guy plays drums. I don't. Yes, I guess exactly. whatever he's into is will be fine. But yeah. and it was also like we were all like losers because like I'm like new to the state, don't know anyone. Like this one dude was like in my actually both of these dudes. I think I think the drummer I met because he was in a theater class with me, and then he knew the um, the dude who played bass because they like you know had another class together. Or actually maybe the the bass player was also a um, like a competitive speed skater. So maybe they had met through that or something. But, yeah, it was, like, you know, we were all just these, like, weirdo outcast people. And we were, like, you play drums, too? And they're, like, yeah, let's play, <laughs> let's play some music. Did, uh, then, did, did that, did, did, was it kind of the situation where, like, every song kind of sounded completely different than the last? Oh, my God, 100%. And, you know, I don't even know if we ever completed, like, a song. 
you know, we'd be like, like, let's learn this cover song. And then, you know, we'd all just, you know, next thing you know, the drummer's like playing a solo and, you know, Jocko's going on the bass and I'm just like playing the same power chord. Just don't really know what I'm doing. So yeah, that was just like learning what it meant to like play and not in your bedroom by yourself, you know? Um, Did you sing? Uh, no, I don't think any of us sang. Oh, I think okay. we were just instrumental. Yeah, I, don't baby. Even, I don't think we had an, uh, a microphone. Fair. Um, or like a PA system or anything. Um, did so yeah, you did that? Did you know early on that you were capable of singing? Like when you were younger, like a kid? I would say definitely not. It was always just out of necessity. Because um, then the I was in another band that was also we never like recorded anything. It was just like some. So, so like I'm in this group with these two dudes that. Um, you know, like we don't have any of the same, we don't listen to any of the same music, whatever. So obviously like kind of quickly we realized like, you know, like that's happening. And then like my side chicks kind of going on and like, there's my other friends that like listen to the same music as me. And I find out they also play. So then I started the band kind of with people who I was like, Oh dude, you like block party? Like let's cover this song. And then I, you know, I was like in a band with them. Okay. And so it was kind of the same thing though. Just like a little bit more focused. We were like, let's play like kind of punk indie fast stuff but uh you know none of us still kind of knew we're doing like i think we had like three guitar players no one on bass (laughs) drummers one of our homies was just like standing around shaking a tambourine and like singing random stuff um and we like yeah we covered like the killers and block party and stuff and then um we didn't record anything either did this whole time did either of these bands play a first show neither of neither of these bands played any type of first show which is why a lot of times i said that my first real band was the next band okay which i can't remember how i actually found out about like so these are all kids that went to my high school and then i had just started going to like punk shows and finding out what shows were and i had met some people through like going to shows that were like trying to play like actual punk music and they showed me like you know bands that weren't you know huge pop punk bands you know like um I can't remember who some of the first ones that we started listening to were. There was a band in our area called Averman, and mm-hmm. I think they used to cover, like, the movie Life. And so I found out about, like, Lifetime and the movie Life and Jawbreaker. And at first I was like, these bands fucking suck. Like, <laughs> I just want, like, I want a band that sounds, you know, like, hella accessible because I'm, like, you know, 14 and I'm, like, want it to be punk, but I want it to be polished. Right, right, So right, that right. was, like... um I met these dudes that were like, you got to listen to this. And then I found out people are still making music like this. And I started finding out about like, at that time it was like set your goals. And um, like a few years before I found out about title fight and like the kind of like resurgence of hardcore and like, you know, like whatever, 2009 and 10. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that band was called our better years. I started with them and we would just cover like, yeah, like the movie life um, jawbreaker. And we recorded so you, war- you eventually warmed up to that stuff. Yeah, well, it, kind of begrudgingly, like, I was, like, trying to play, you know, stuff that still sounded like Lincoln Green Day, and then um, our drummer was, like, this dude who really would play anything, but he, he had, like, a 30-piece like a drum kit <laughs> in, his, in his bedroom in his parents' house, and he was, like, really rich, and his dad wouldn't let him play the drums loud, like, he had to, like, barely touch his drums, and uh, then the bass player and the other guitar player were, like, you know, listening to, like, like real punk stuff. Um, and then they were like, all right, like if we're going to play some sort of pop punk, we got to play like lifetime in the movie life. Um, so we kind of like met in the middle with some styles there and it was pretty cool. And, um, we actually recorded some stuff with that band. 
Okay. Um, so what was the, what was the what was the first recording experience like? It was at this place called Double O Studios, um, which is I think in Hampton, Virginia, which okay. is only like it was like forty minutes. And so we were you know so psyched. We've been like working on these four songs for forever. We'd played like a few shows around the area, um, and you know it's so fun. Like it's so crazy. Like how desensitized I feel now like when I think back and like dial into those memories of how I felt like waking up the morning of going to record and like how stoked I was to go 40 minutes down the road just magical man you know being like wow I'm actually gonna have music that's mine recorded you know like no there was no metronome you know did you is this the band so did you sing in this band this band I sang in because um necessity nobody yeah nobody else could sing and we didn't want to just have a singer okay so um yeah, that was that was awesome. It, we recorded everything in you know one day, four songs. Um, you said no metronome. Was it tra- so? Was it track by track or was it live? Um, it was, dude. It was track by track. Yeah, we it definitely wasn't live. We were. Uh, we I don't think we could have ever gotten anything. No, I'm pretty sure it was track by track. Which now thinking about it, I'm like, how the hell would we even do that? <laughs> um, but I think it was cause I, yeah. I, I, I don't think we recorded it. Li- Maybe we did record it live and I just sang over it, but I'm pretty sure it was track by track. Sure. Um, yeah, just a little four song EP Were uh, you, demo, whatever. Once you got like in front of the microphone to start actually singing, like, do you have any memories of like being freaked out, hearing your Hated voice it. back? Yeah. Hated it so much. Got it back. I was like, we absolutely can't put this out. It sounds horrible. But then, you know, like the homies were like, dude, it sounds great. You sound great, man. Yeah. And it kind of always has remained that way. Like, I still don't really like how my voice sounds. Like, Turnover was the same way. It was like, well, we don't really know anyone else who can sing. I guess I'll sing. Like, I definitely like playing guitar and playing instruments way more than singing. I don't hate my voice anymore, you know, and I've, like, learned how to use it a little bit better. But back in the day, I was just, like, fucking spewing bullshit. Right. Sounds pretty, pretty funny and crazy. Even if you listen to, like, the first Turnover demo, it's insane. Were you doing... But, yeah more like kind of yelly singing stuff like earlier turnover stuff definitely yeah got it yeah i'm curious when it came to like you know the way you i mean the opening of peripheral vision being so naked you know like or, or like a lot of the material and that being so naked with like your voice being very upfront. um did that take you a little while to warm up to get used to that kind of a thing Dude, honestly, like, you know, when I think about Turnover, it's kind of like pre and post peripheral vision because, you know, I went from that band I was just talking about to, you know, that was, we were a band for like a year. And then a couple of the same members from that band, it was me and the bass player and one of the guitar players started Turnover. And then we asked Casey to play drums. And um, we did a demo and then the self titled EP and then Split with Citizen and then Magnolia. And, um, all that was like in a relatively short period. We started in 2009, recorded the first thing, 2010, yeah, I think. So all that was in three years, two years, three years. And I was definitely still just like yelling, you know, definitely still punk. And then um, with, I like, there was actually a, there's actually a pretty funny photo of me in the Magnolia times mm-hmm. when like we, we had recorded like all of the music and then I tried to sing it in the mic and not just at practice and realized it was just not going to happen. And we had to like re like change the key of every song. So like scratch everything except drums and like go back and redo it all. Yeah. Which will was a champ at that point. And I can't believe he didn't just say, you guys got to go home. That was for um, Magnolia. 
That was for Magnolia. Oh my God. And there's a picture of me just like, you know, because of that, like towards the end of it, you know, we'd already been, Magnolia is such a crazy thing. Like, I don't know how much of this lore is known, but we literally slept in our van in a Walmart parking lot for all of that session for a month. I know that lore. I, I can't remember if it was you guys telling me that when we were in Australia together or if I had heard that secondhand. But yeah, I that to me, I feel like I heard it beforehand because to me, that's what made me no matter. I don't think I had even heard the band, but I had heard that. So I, I'm putting it together now. I hadn't heard the band, but I'd heard that story. And in my in my head, I said, I don't care what that band sounds like. I respect the fucking hell out of them because that is it was gnarly, man. so insane. It we- was crazy. But the things you do when you're young just to make it happen, right? Like you're so hungry. Like I'm sure you guys have shit like that too. I mean, touring when you're young is so crazy. Like I'll never forget when we were about to go on the first tour and our guitar player like couldn't go because, you know, he was like staying behind for school or something. He was like, he was like, dude, what are you going to do for money? And I was like, uh, I don't know. Like, just figure it out. He's like, dude, what are you going to like do just for like food? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> you know, like just make it happen, like live on less than $5 a day. And uh, yeah, man, it was crazy. So that time, you know, it was insane already being there for a month, like in the winter in Philly. <laughs> I didn't um, know it was the winter. It, or the fall. It was like a November. Might as well be. Yeah. And um, we're like getting towards the end of the month and like I wasn't going to finish. And there's a picture of me in the studio literally just like with my head in my hands because <laughs> oh. my voice was wrecked from trying to sing like just scream, which I just, it, you know, just it's just not what my voice is suited for at all. And so then after that, um, it was kind of a crazy point for the band because we like had um, one of our guitar players had left the band. The other one was like about to go to school and we were going to have to need another guitar player. So that's kind of when it started just being me, Casey and Danny. And we were like, dude, you know what? We've been a band for like four years at this point. We've been playing shows to the same like 20 to 50 kids everywhere. Like no one really cares. Like what what kind of you know at that we were kind of stuck in this place of what we thought our band should be like because like we grew up playing you know this you know emo punk alternative music and we thought that's the kind of band we needed to be um but we really weren't listening to that kind of stuff anymore and so we were like dude fuck it like fuck anybody's expectations like let's just make whatever kind of music we're we want to make and um that's when we did peripheral vision and sure. uh, you know, just sing singing like that. I was like, dude, I remember given I had some, um, I had, it was such a traumatic experience with Magnolia. I actually like got a few Adderalls to, to sing on peripheral vision. Cause I was like, I needed to really focus in and dial in. Yeah. And I remember when I was singing, um, peripheral vision, I was like, Oh my God, like I could have been doing this the whole time. Like I felt so confident <laughs> and so good that, I wasn't destroying my voice and I was singing like how I was then. Yeah. So I felt like that was like when we really started to realize like how the music that like, I felt like we kind of started to like find ourselves a little bit there. What Um, a, what a magical relief, relieving moment to realize like, this is what we feel more comfortable doing. Let's explore this sound. And then on top of that, Oh my God, I feel so much better singing this way too. Yeah, man. It was great. It was great. That was a, a really magical recording experience when we did for for vision for sure. Awesome. I bet. Uh, let's backtrack a little bit. Cause we were obviously just talking about the struggles of, uh, being hungry and, and just doing shit like staying in a van for a month. Um, what was, uh, what was the first tour you did? So our first actual tour was, it was just us. 
Um, but we met up at some point along the way. Light Years played some shows with us, and Maker played some shows with us. Mm. Um, and that was in the summer of 2011, I think. Maybe 2010, 2011. Okay. I think it was 2010, because I think I had just graduated high school. Um, but maybe it was 2011, and then six months later, we did another. These were both just, like, up the East Coast, um, you know, like, outskirts of Philly, Long Island, Boston um, type stuff. Sure. Um, and then the second one we did was with um, True, this band True Things from New Jersey, uh, which they were, like, friends of Man Overboard and stuff back in the day. Um, and then those were both, like I said, like 10 days or something like that. And our first van was an old, um, so for a while I was getting all of my cars cause, uh, we had this mechanic friend in Virginia beach that would get us into the city auctions where people would get their cars impounded and they would just auction them off. So like I got my first truck for like a thousand bucks that way, um, ton of good stuff. But our first van came from there and it was an old prison van. So like the front two seats were there and then it was bought iron bars in Whoa. the back of the van so that was hella crazy um, was it was there actually but there was seats behind the bars there were seats behind the bars yeah for like the inmates um and then man the, it was crazy <laughs> and that only lasted for i think the one maybe both of those tours um did those two tours and then summer 2012 was our first like full u.s tour and it was with citizen it was us citizen in light years and that was like the first time we went out to the west coast and it was you know like six weeks long or something like that yeah so that's kind of the first real one that we did did you well i mean even that you know like the early like you know east coast east coast things um you know did you find yourself warming up to the experience was was touring something that you embraced Oh, man, I mean, it was, you know, I always say how, you know, when, when at least for us, I think, collectively in turnover at that age, um, have all had this experience, is like, as much as it was about the music, which it was, it was equally or more about this, yo, like, this is something that we created, this isn't anything that anyone else gave us, it's not from our parents, it's not from some sports team, you know, it's just us, and it's a vessel for like leaving home and like having new experiences and seeing places. So, I mean, the touring for, for a while, I would say was more of a, more of it than even the writing, the music part of it, you know, like there was times when I didn't even, I was so tired of playing the same, whatever, six, seven songs, but like, I just loved being on the road and like making new, like I couldn't believe like we were making friends in Philadelphia and New York through just our music, you know, like, what an what a cool thing and you know looking back i feel so lucky and so privileged to have been 18 years old and have been able to have that experience of being for one having to be out just having to make it work with just your homies like it teaches you an insane amount of self-reliance and independence and also just like meeting people that are like-minded like across the entire country um was such a magical thing for us and i mean we met some people that i'm still friends with to to this day and uh, so, yeah, the touring part of it was, was absolutely uh, an integral and very magical part of the experience for us early it, on. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I've had that, I, I've, I've talked with friends before about something similar where, you know, um, it sounds like you're, you're like me where, <clears throat> you know, or maybe I'm, 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 uh, I'm assuming you are where, you know, I didn't come from a family that 
ever took vacations or, or anything like that. I, you know, single mom raising two kids, she's working and we're, you know, whatever. So it's like vacation was something that we never got to do. And I've said to like, you know, random people, like people at shows or, or whatever, when just talking about, you know, starting bands and stuff, I'm just like, if you start a band and put in like enough effort, like it's a great hack to be able to see the world, Straight you know, up, man, a hundred percent. Like you know. I, I never, I, I, you know, I've never thought I would ever see the East coast, you know? Yeah. And then the idea of like ever leaving the country was like, are you crazy? I could, right. why, wh- how could I have ever do, done that? And then, right. you know, like these so experiences special, happen. Yeah, exactly. It's like a, it's, it's a, it's a good hack to be able to, to travel for sure. It's a it, good excuse. Dude. Yeah. It's a great excuse and a hack. And also just, I mean, you know, I mean, it just, it, it teaches you a lot about the power of your own will and what you really can. I mean, you know, not, you know, everybody has their different strengths and stuff based on their experiences. But, you know, sometimes I talk to my friends that haven't done something like touring and it's so crazy. Just the very things that seem daunting to them. Like they'd be like, Oh dude, like I really want to go to that show that's three hours away, but dude, I don't know if my car will make it. I'm like, dude, I took a van with 300,000 miles from 1992 to California. Like, you can do it. You know what I mean? Like, just make it happen. And it's really just that idea of making it happen, you know, and, and, and what it really does to your mind, especially at that age when, you know, you have been living under your parents' roof and you're going to school. And I mean, like, you know, I didn't go to college or anything right out of, out of high school. I was doing the touring thing. So it was like I went from shelter to just like, holy cow, like, I'll never forget probably the earliest experience of it being insanely powerful was just driving over, I can't, maybe the George Washington bridge and just seeing New York city. I've only ever been before once in my life when I was like a kid with my family, you know, my uncle lives in New Jersey, went and visited him in New York or something, but I'm, we're driving over there in our van about to go play a show. And I'm like, dude, I'm literally up here just because of some songs, you know what I mean? And like, it's so cool too, that we happen to be, at that point where there was the internet and there, if there was a group of five kids on Long Island that knew your band, they'd be like, come play, we'll book your band. Like, so I feel so lucky that, and you know, I'm just, it's insane that that happened and that it could happen. And, um, yeah, the touring part of it, man, is just, it's such a crazy thing for me to reflect on because at this point it's been the majority of my, all of my adult life and you know you do it for so long that you forget the magic of it and you start to only feel the sacrifices and you're like I miss leaving I hate leaving everyone behind and like leaving home is hard whatever whatever but I've also had conversations with homies that have felt the same way of you love it so much that you give up everything to do it and then you forget why and you start to hate it and then you come back to loving it again you know and i'm definitely at the place now where like i love it so much and especially after covid man it's like playing these shows these last few days has just been it's 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 you know having like doing zoom performances whatever making it still happen is is awesome in its own way but there's really nothing like actually moving air with sound and making music and having that physical live music connection and seeing people it's uh so special 100 percent, yeah no what you were describing i mean yeah it's always the grass is grass is always greener you know like early touche songs i'm i'm writing about how much i hate los angeles and then i start touring and i'm like oh yeah i fucking love los angeles it's actually i I love it you know it's like you just learn so much and then and and what you described with like you know getting into new york city and seeing the seeing the skyline to this day i still feel that way like uh, you know like as soon as we as soon as i see the skyline in new york city i get like you know 
emotional i'm like oh my god like mm-hmm. it's it's so cool um it is. We, one thing we we jumped over that i just want two cents on is uh is the first show you ever played um when you were talking about with it was uh you know the band couple bands maybe before uh turnover and i just was curious was it like uh do you remember if it was like a house show or like a talent show what was the vibe First show, it was um, it was at a place that is um, it, it, at that time it was called Stepping Out. It was in Virginia Beach, it was like a little bar, um, and it was a benefit for um, I can't remember so, someone's family member had some health things going on or something. A friend of ours um, that you know went to shows with us and stuff, and uh, it was it was us in this band from Virginia beach at the time, this hardcore band called pushing on, mm-hmm. um, this like metalcore band from that was kids from a high school called life. Um, I can't remember who else that might've been it. Um, what do you remember? What do you remember about playing? Like, were you excited? Were you anxious? Super, super excited, super anxious. It was weird too, because, um, you know, I had like my show friends that I had met and then like a bunch of like my high school friends that right. I didn't know about that also came. So I was like in that weird mix of everyone's like, Oh, you're playing a show. And I was like, Oh my gosh. I'm like dividing all this time between this. And I'm also just like, for, you know, I was whatever, like I said, like 15 or something. So I'm like, I used to be so crazy, silly at shows, like not knowing anything about what moshing was. I would just like literally be jumping up and down like this vertically, (laughs) just (laughs) letting energy out of my body in any way that I could. So um, there's so many, actually a friend of mine um, that was always at the shows with me back in the day, actually just like last month sent me like a stockpile of like 50 photos from that show. And it brought me back. So that was crazy memories, but it was so much fun. Um, I remember there was the hardcore band uh, played last because they had been like around Virginia Beach for a long time. They like broke a bunch of the sound system. (laughs) Um, The metalcore band that played the bass player got off the stage and just dropped his bass and just started moshing in the middle of the set. Um, (laughs) Nice. We played our four songs. It felt like forever, and it obviously was probably like ten minutes. Uh huh. But it was so fun, man. I mean, after that, I was, you know, addicted to it. I was like, I got to keep doing this. It's so fun. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Um, so when um, Turnover did that first, the first thing that came out was that self-titled 7-inch, right? Uh, the first thing was actually a demo that was never pressed or anything. It was okay. just like on MySpace. Um, got it. But yeah, the first the first thing that was pressed was the, and then right after that was, yeah, the, the self-titled. And I saw it came out on uh, the label Broken Rim, and I mm-hmm. they're out of uh, like Buffalo, I believe. So like, I'm curious how that, um, how that relationship, for, relationship formed and like what you remember Dude. about getting that seven inch out. Oh my God, I'll, I'll never, um, so at that time, um, you know, like I said, like I'd only ever put stuff out on MySpace and whatnot. Right. And, uh, we put that EP out the same way, I think like on Facebook and it had a lot of traction like around locally. Um, and we were starting to like, you know, feel like, Oh my gosh, like people around Virginia beach are really loving this. And I remember just one day on, um, on Facebook, I had a message from some random ass person um that was like hey i run this little independent record label and i really like y'all's ep i want to put it out and he had put out like some stuff for like rust belt lights and uh i think another band that i had heard of at the time and i was like oh my god what like a record you know i I didn't even understand the difference between record labels i was like a record label right so yeah he just hit us up man and then on our first tour actually um you know we didn't have any obviously any body working for us at that point any agents or managers or whatever 
but it had it was probably around it was probably like in the winter um before that first tour we did and we were like we really want to do a tour and he was like okay well i'll try to help you so he kind of uh, his name is kyle tedesco that runs the label and he um he kind of like helped us book the tour a little bit and then we had a show up in buffalo and we met him and hung out with him and um yeah he pressed it man and then um were any of you guys into, were any of you guys like vinyl kids at all like was was the idea Danny of having a seven to. yeah to say the used idea to collect records yeah of having like your seven inches always like kind of the first seven inches like an exciting feeling getting that in your hands oh my god man i mean even though i didn't and still don't collect vinyl um yeah having a physical copy i mean even we didn't even ever have cds or tapes or anything you know and so um yeah having something physical man like the first time looking at it i couldn't even believe it you know i still of course save all that stuff but yeah i mean it was just another one of those surreal experiences you know for a while there you know when you're like i remember like asking my parents for the first electric guitar and uh, uh, just knowing it was going to be a no and they said yes and i was like what and then, like, the first time you actually hear yourself on a recording, so surreal. First time you see the New York skyline, so surreal. Yeah. Same thing with the record label. It was just unbelievable to me. I couldn't believe it. was just, like, seeing my dreams happen, you know, like, in real time. Because, like I said, since I heard that song, like, when I was in, like, first grade, I was like, I want to do this. Where, so it was uh, uh, really yeah. special. Oh, I love that. Yeah, I mean, that's, like, the whole... I think that's what drives me with doing the show, is, like, what you just described. It's, like, those first experiences are... are kind of become embedded in your head where you're like man you know it it really it shows you how far things have it reminds you of how far things have come but also reminds you of like i don't know how special those first feelings are absolutely Um, man so it seemed pretty quickly after that that your relationship with uh run for cover started was that a similar situation where like was it like jeff or or one of them just reached out was like hey we like what you guys are doing so they were working with Citizen at that point. I think they had like reached out to Citizen and they were trying to um, to work with them. And um, we had met them through uh, that tour that we had done. Um, or no, you know, they played a few shows with us on the True Things tour. Like we went out to Ohio and I think they played like a few shows with us in like Ohio and Chicago. Um, so we had met them through that. And like, I remember, you know, back in like the, early social media days like i found their ep and i hit them up and was like you know like i was just like posting it on turnover stuff like really liked it so we like liked each other's bands from afar yeah and uh so we linked up played a few shows and do you know the rest is history with them they became some of our closest friends and confidants within music and so they started and obviously we both like loved title fight and everybody that run for cover was working with at that time um and we both had a little bit of buzz. I would say Citizen more so at that point. Um, and they were about to work with Run for Cover, and we really wanted to do a split. Um, I was going to so, ask if that was the first. Was that the first release with Run for Cover, the split 7-inch? Yep. And uh, it was actually kind of hairy because at that point, actually, I think Citizen was working with that label Mightier Than Sword. Okay. That used to do, like, such golden stuff. And then yeah. I think that guy got in some trouble for not, like, not pressing a bunch of vinyl that he had pre-ordered or something. Basically, oh, the label right. went, the label yeah, yeah, went yeah. under for some reason. Isn't that the label and that did, like, the Blink reissues? Yes. Yeah, yes. I remember that. I, I I remember crediting that guy for being, like, I feel like whoever, I, I don't know the gentleman or, or who did the label, but, like, I remember talking with uh, my best friend, who's Joey, who does 6131 Records, about, like, yo, respect to this guy for getting in on the ground floor 
of like doing vinyl represses of big records because straight up I mean, it was a situation where the record, uh, you know, the the major label didn't understand what they had with the vinyl boom yet yep. to where I don't know if you know this, but it's just kind of fun to, to mention. But like it's fucked up. It shows how grimy major labels can be. But basically, like y- if there's a record that came out in the 90s that like probably didn't recoup and never was on vinyl, you could just call a label and be like, hey, how much is that license? And just pay like a thousand dollars to the label the band never finds out about it knows about it and then you can just press that record because the label gave you the the license for like a grand because to them and they're like this this album hasn't made money in, in a while you know blink is different blink is a consistent right, right, money right. maker but it's crazy that he was able that guy was just able to call whatever label and say how much for the blink license and I not know, even involve the band it's fucking crazy that really is that's so insane like the music and oh my god that's a completely different podcast we got yeah no about how sure. the fucking music industry is so screwed up sure sure I, but, you know, yeah I, I was working at a at a record store when that split i believe came out i was i was i was uh i was helping out like picking up some shifts in between tours and i remember when that the the turnover citizens seven inch came out it was like i could not keep that thing in stock like that's cool it was la was always dude i don't know what it was about la but from the earliest point, it was uh, it, not even L.A. Actually, the first time we ever played that area was in Pomona at uh, Aladdin Juniors. Oh yeah, on that Citizen tour. Yeah, you just mentioned it, you mentioned that on stage. I think at the Palladium show. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was crazy. I was like, dude, we're how many miles from home? And like that was by far the most people we'd ever had at a show by tenfold. You know what I mean? So yeah, it's, L.A. for some reason has always showed out for that scene of music. I definitely. And, you know, I remember thinking that your that specifically turnover and citizen were kind of leading the charge, whether you realize it or not, for like the next I hate to use the term wave because I feel like it's getting ridiculous, but like kind of the next I'll say generation of bands uh, after us, where it was like ours was title fight touche tiger's jaw you know pianos defeater make do and mend that was all you know that and yeah. then it was then a couple years late you know five years later or whatever came all of you guys you know and it was exciting to see happen where it's like okay good it's like someone else can kind of take over for a while you know <laughs> dude yeah yeah man I, I it was crazy i mean you never know when it's happening you know what i mean but uh and i feel like for us, it was kind of weird because it was kind of like this weird wave where it was like it'd be kind of hyped up and then it would die down versus what. But Citizen stayed rocking it for a while, man. I mean, that first LP they put out, people loved it. Um, but yeah, man, like we did that. We did that split with them and they were working with Mightier Than Sword and we were still with Broken Rim. Um, and then Run For Cover, I think the Mightier Than Sword went under and Run For Cover was like, we'll pick it up, but only if we put out, like we're not going to do a split. We're not going to put out two a half of a seven inch basically. So they picked up the whole thing and we hadn't had any real kind of contract with broken rim. And we were like, Hey man, you know, like this is like our dream at that point, this is our dream record label to be on. Yeah. And, um, it, that's kind of where our blood started getting kind of bad with broken rim. Um, cause we were like, Hey man, you know, like we, you know, this is like, we want it. This, this is like a dream for us. We would totally. hope that as our homie, you would want, want, want that. And he was really bummed that we didn't want to keep working with him. But we were like, man, if we could work with you and with them, we would. But, you know, it's not really an option. So we that was kind of the beginning of the relationship with Run For Cover is they did that split. And then we uh, we had, you know, the 
following LPs to come. Those yeah. those early like um you know, relationships crumbling are always kind of like the hardest ones to go through. I mean, it's 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 a big part of like the growing pains of a band, you know? Like Totally. Between, you know, uh having to just basically tell somebody like hey man we're gonna go elsewhere i mean like all the first merch companies we worked with all the first labels we worked with all the first uh etc you know it's like having to be like hey and it and you know i don't know if you're like me you're you know you're you're a very personable friendly person but like i get myself into trouble a lot because i often become too close of friends with people we work with and that's Mm -hmm. hurt me a lot where i'm like fuck man because then i you know it's tough when you become the the person that is the point of contact via text message versus the group email that is like professional, you know, when you yes. get, when you're the person that's getting side text about, you know, whatever might be dramatic. That's, that's, it's always tough. It's tough. And it's especially when you're from a world like ours to where it's like, it is just your homies helping each other out to make it. You're like, Oh, my friend has, my friend prints shirts. My friend has a record label. It's totally. like, it's, no, it's not really business stuff. You know, now it's like, you know, more than likely these people, you know, it's kind of like a, you know, they're still probably your homies, but they're probably started probably working together on a business tip first. And they got to know them as your friend versus like, this is just your friend. And you're really just both helping each other out because you're both just, you know, yeah, making it work. No, so it's hard because it's, you're definitely mixing business with pleasure in the early days. And it, I mean, dude, the less the the lessons that you get taught, just having, having that kind of stuff happens is it's, it's, it's crazy. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Um, did uh, did your relationship with Will Yip start via like basically through Run for Cover? Like, yeah, you know, you should go to our guy. He's obviously making hits. <laughs> go get in the yeah. studio. So at that point, yeah, we well, so the split with Citizen actually, Will did their half, if I'm not mistaken, and um, I think that was just like at that point he was relatively new to the whole that whole world as well. I know he yeah. had, you know, done the blacklisted stuff and I think he had just done the first thing he did with Title Fight. Yeah, um, he like engineered it, but like Walter Schreifels was kind of got like the producer credit, I think. Mhm. And I think that had only been like a year previous and you know like we, you know, thought that that was really cool and then Citizen did their half and like we listened to our like our whole recording of that's other of the other half of that split was crazy because we went to do it and then we like hated how a lot of it sounded. So then like our homies in Richmond, like we reamped, like redid all the guitars and stuff with them and it sounded just insane. So we were like, dude, where are we going to go record? And, uh, yeah, run for cover was like, well, citizen really liked working with Will and you know, it's not that far from you guys, you know, it's like what, five hours. And, uh, they were starting to just send a bunch of artists to Will, and, you know, Will at that time was just the same as ever, just grinding an, an insane amount for way too little pay. Yeah. So, yeah, that's where our that's where our relationship with him started. And just, was it, uh, and just, you know, did you know during that experience that, like, he was your guy? Because going forward that you ended up going to him, you know, for the next, for the next, all of your next records? We didn't think about it that far in advance, um, but I think just because of Magnolia being so insane, um, we were, like, bonded in a certain way just because it it did get so dark. You know, like, I mean, I'm sure he could feel the energy from us coming from a van every night yeah. into the studio to, like... And at that point, too, it was, like, 
it was weird because, you know, like we, when we were, when, at least for me at that point, I was like a pretty big control freak of the music of the band. And like, I wasn't really sure what I even wanted to write, but it was like what I was doing. So I was just kind of writing. Um, so it was kind of a dark period for me and consequently the rest of the band. And like I said, like we were by no means playing like good shows or anything, you know what I mean? Like we'd been kind of grinding. And, um, so I think we felt bonded just through that experience of having to work so hard to make it happen. And him, him being such a true, I mean, dude, if it wasn't for that, if it wasn't for him, that record never would have happened. And we might not even be a band anymore. Cause you know, he was like, let's do it, dude. We'll get it done. Yeah. And he made it sound fucking great, even though realistically it shouldn't have sounded as good as it does. Yeah. And, um, yeah, he just, he was just totally the, the vibe provider and, um, made the songs better than they would have been and made us better musicians than we should have been at that time. And, uh, just, you know, um, really made it possible. So at that, at that point, when it came to peripheral vision, we were like, no doubt we got to go back to will. Right. And then peripheral vision, we loved so much from then it was kind of like cemented on to where it was like, Oh, he's just like part of the band. When, um, peripheral vision was recorded and done and everything like that, like, do you remember feeling pressure with that coming out considering the sonic change? Dude, honestly, not at all. It was, it was so freeing to us. And I think it's because like, you know, like I said, none of us were really listening to that like stuff prior to Proof Revision anymore. And I remember like we, the first tour we were about to do after Proof Revision wasn't even out yet. It was the, um, I think it was like March or April of 2015 and Peripheral Vision came out that May. So it was like right before Peripheral Vision was about to come out and we were going on tour with New Found Glory and Turnstile. And we only played Peripheral Vision songs. Yeah. Like we didn't play a single, I think we maybe, maybe played most of the time, which yeah. is just one song off um, Magnolia. And we were just so stoked because like that's what we really wanted to be playing. Yeah. You know what I mean, and we had just been playing the other stuff for so long and not really feeling it and not loving it. So it was, it was really the opposite. Like we just, at that point we were like, fuck it, dude. Like we're in this band because, you know, we love playing this music and we really all loved Peripheral Vision. And, um, so it felt super freeing. And also it was the first time since like Sasha and like the first EP that we really had felt like, obviously on the Newfound tour, people didn't know it yet, but I could tell people were kind of like, oh, this is kind of cool. Right. And then the next tour we did, we actually, like, right as Peripheral came out, we flew to England and we um, played some shows over there. And I guess just because Peripheral Vision's, like, sort of more, like, NME-style, like, indie stuff, like, England caught on really quick. Yeah. But it had, like, not even been out at all, and, like, every show was packed, given small rooms, you know, right. like 150 people. But we were like, wait. Like, the guy who was, like, our... I think that was, like, our second or third time in Europe. and But the first time us going, like, as the main... Not not supporting. Yeah. And we... I thought it was, like, a... Like, a, I thought he was, like, a wrong. He was like, <laughs> oh, yeah, tonight... Tonight sold out in uh, whatever freaking Manchester. And I was like, uh, are you sure? Like, I don't think that's right. Like, usually we play, like, 20 kids. Yeah. And, um, so it was, like, being able to tell that people, like, actually cared. Right. Um, and, like, really connected with the music kind of revitalized revitalized the band a lot at that time so it was super freeing yeah we really didn't feel any sort of um like we need to go back to playing the old stuff right no i feel it i feel it yeah uh i I remember just being really excited getting to 
do those shows in Australia with uh, with you guys just before I think it was just before Good Nature had come out because you guys were playing the single off of it. Uh, forgive me, the name of it, the Supernatural. Supernatural. Yeah, thank you. Mm-hmm. It was right on tip of my tongue. Um, and I remember just like enjoying watching you guys play that every night, knowing like, oh, this record's coming. You know, yeah, like, man. that was that was such a good tour. Yeah. Um, do you enjoy doing those like mixed bill? You know, like on paper, whenever you'd seen like Turnstile Turnover Show, or like obviously us and you guys, it's like very sonically different. But uh, do you enjoy do you enjoy doing like shows like that that are maybe a little more challenging for an audience? I I enjoy it and but I don't even think twice about it just because, you know, I mean, like that's where we come from. So we've totally. always done that. You know, like we grew up, like we would play the trapped under ice dead in path show. At, you know what I mean? Like in mm-hmm. Virginia beach. And I mean, given back in the day, it were, it made a little more sense because it was like, we were still playing the like really yeah, yeah, fast, yeah. you know, punk beat stuff, you know, like eighth note, like, and it kind of made more sense, but it just, it, it, it has always been like where we came from. So it, it always has made sense to me. Yeah, and I always really like opening people's, you know, like I always love when I go to a show and I hear a type of music and I'm like, oh, that's really cool. Never heard that. Sure. And the, at this point, it's usually our homies. You know what I mean? Like by that point, it was like, oh, Turnstile, like they're just from right up the road in Baltimore. So they were our friends. Yeah. But it's starting to get weirder now. <laughs> you know, like when we played Sound and Fury a few years ago, like I loved being there because I loved seeing all the bands. And yeah. But it's, you know, now that the music is even a little more mellow yeah. and stuff, it's kind of like, uh, we don't fit in quite quite as much. But then I'm like, oh, the new Turnstar record came out today and there's some straight indie pop songs on there. So it's yeah. kind of all melding back together. Totally. Uh, it was really nice hearing songs from All Together live, you know, and watching you play piano or the key, keys more and all, and all that sort of stuff. Like those songs have just like such a nice live, uh, like, like a lot, like, you know, performing live energy to them. You know, I think yeah, I, love playing those songs. I, I think between all of your records, the all together material has like feels like a different life than on record. You know what I'm saying? Like they, they two two different atmospheres completely. Um, so, yeah, it was it was a blast. Um, but, yeah, I, I feel like uh, I could hit you with the, the last question, because I, I mean, I feel like I could talk to you all day, but we've already been chatting for over an hour. Um, oh, that's a time flies when you're having fun, man. Exactly. So uh, when was the first time you felt like you were doing the thing that you had been working so hard towards? In terms of in terms of music we're talking, right? Yeah, man. I mean, well, whatever comes to mind first. I mean, when I when I first hear that question, I do think about like, you know, since I was a kid, like I said, I've always, you know, I mean, I was, like, obsessed with playing music, you know, like, specifically, like, Blink, I was obsessed with, like, seeing their goofy music videos, and, like, being in a band, just being with your, basically, when I was young, only things I cared about were being with my best friends, playing music, and, like, doing fun stuff, and they all did that, and I was like, that's exactly what I want to do, and so that was always what I was working toward, man. So I would say, like, the first time I really felt like I was doing it, I mean, you know, there were little milestones along the way, like we're talking about. Like, it wasn't, and I feel really grateful for the fact that it wasn't some thing where it was like, you know, there's some bands, it's like they start a band and instantly they're popped off and it all happens at one time, which is obviously probably magical in its own way. But I'm super grateful that it happened little by little because I think I it would have been a lot more jarring to me had it not been that case. But, um, so it was, it's kind of hard to say when it felt the most, but cause you know, that first, that first 
time I held our 7-inch was a really big one. The first time I played a show was a big one, but I would say probably it would be the first time we went on tour. Um, man, it's so hard. Like, I, like The things that stick out in my mind are going to New York for the first time and seeing that, but also I remember the first time being in California, completely across the country. That's another really big one. So I yeah. hate, I always do this. Like, it's so hard for me to choose a one time. Yeah, yeah. But um, I like what you were it's saying. It's like a combination about, of things. I like what you were saying about the, the like, the slow build. Because, yeah. you know, uh, obviously Radiohead named a record The Bends, where it's like, you know, the idea of, like, you go up too quick and then, you know, it, it, it might not be special anymore because you experience it so fast, you know, yeah. or, or something like that. So... Um, yeah, there's something very special about the, the, the gradual growth because you, you learn to appreciate every step along the way in its own, in its own merit. Absolutely, man. Yeah. It's been, I wouldn't, you know, when it was happening, some of the struggles, you know, like at the time, had we been able to get a nice place to stay and not stay in the van for a month, I would have done it. But like (laughs) looking back, I seriously, as, as cliche as it is, I wouldn't change a single thing about how it went. Like the how unsuccessful we were for a bit of time and then how success came and has kind of come and gone. You know, this turnover has been such a wave of things, you know, up and down the entire way in every way that I can think about. And uh, it's been hard, but it's also been the most fulfilling thing, one of the most fulfilling things in my life. And, uh, yeah, man, you know, like the way that the way that the universe or whatever you believe in yourself makes it work out is, has been perfect for me. So I'm, I'm just thankful. Hell yeah. Well, thank you so much, Austin. This is a blast. Yeah. Thanks for having me, man. And that is our show. Thank you to Austin for coming on and thank you for listening. If you have not subscribed to the show, please do so on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you are enjoying this. And if it happens to be Apple, if you wouldn't mind rating and reviewing the show, that really helps out a whole lot. And a uh, reminder, if you're interested in some more Austin, hit up the Patreon for a bonus episode. And uh, if you want to just support the show in general, the Patreon is the great way to do that. Hit up patreon.com slash the first ever Patreon. I will see you next week. Take care. Be good. <laughs>